You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Today I want to talk to you again about baptism in Jesus' name. And in verse 16 of chapter 22 in Acts, it says this, And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Somebody said amen. Amen. Baptism, does it matter? Yes, it matters. And I've got good news. It makes a difference. Hallelujah. I didn't come today to ask God, do I really have to? I came saying, God, I want all that you've got for me. I want everything, amen, that you've made available for me. Can we lay our Bibles down and let's invite the presence of the Lord in this place. Lord, I thank you again this morning for the truth of your word and the power of your spirit. We ask that you direct us today and you open up our understanding in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Baptism does it matter. Amen. Yes, it matters. We're asking the question, though, because we are human and we have questions. I made uh, a great point of this last week of how it doesn't matter how long you've been in church or how long you have been around church or how well you may be versed, at some point you have had questions about baptism. We live over 2,000 years removed from the birth of Christ, and so from that early New Testament church time, there has been a lot of space for men to mess with and twist and misinterpret what God intends and what God says. And so we're not asking what our opinions are. We are not leaving this subject to the vote of a consensus of people, but we are going back to the Word of God and saying, Lord, what do you say? Does this matter? I want to understand what you are saying. So we ask those questions and we've attempted to answer some of them. I will highlight Several of them today, some of them I answered last week, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And if you have any questions, further questions, or maybe I don't answer something as well as you need it to be answered, I want you, I invite you to ask me, email me, send me uh, a question, and let's talk about this because I want everyone to know what God is trying to say to us. The first question that we ask is simply this, what is baptism? And I'm here to tell you that it is part of God's plan for salvation. We took a moment just a few minutes ago for healing, for those who are sick, amen, to come forward and to be prayed for. I believe in the healing power of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Last night, we had a wonderful group of people that gathered on Saturday night here for prayer, and I appreciate so much what a wonderful time we enjoyed together in the presence of the Lord here on a Saturday evening. And when we closed it out, I felt led for us just to take a moment to pray that 
CTK continued to be a place of healing, a sanctuary of healing. The last prophecy that we have in our Bible in the Old Testament was from Malachi where he said that the son of righteousness, the Messiah would come and when he came he would arise with healing in his wings. Jesus Christ came and he was healing them. He was healing their body. He was doing great miracles even to the point of blind eyes being open and dead being recalled back to life. But he did all of that. Amen. Not so that they could just have a few more days and a few more hours of life on this earth. But so that they could know if he could do that in their body, then he could also reach through. Amen. To the innermost being of the soul and the heart of man. And he is a healer. Hallelujah. Can I tell you, he came, he said, to save and the lost. Amen. He came to heal the sick. And he's not just talking about those who have a physical sickness, but an emotional, a spiritual sickness. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that my God is a healer this morning. Hallelujah. I'm thankful that my God is a healer. So it is a part of God's plan for salvation, healing the sin-sick souls of humanity. In John chapter number 3, a man by the name of Nicodemus comes to Jesus and asks him, and Christ lets him know that he must be born again. In verse number 5, he says this, Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus was letting him know, hallelujah, that there is a new birth process that takes place. Hallelujah. We can look at this in one of two ways. We can look at it as a prohibition, as exclusive. And I guess you're right because he says, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. But you know what he was offering was something that no person in their right mind would refuse. And that was this. You can be born again if you are weary and tired of yourself if you are worn out in this life Christ is saying hey there's a heavenly kingdom and you can be born again amen a new creature in Christ Jesus what an awesome amen invitation what an awesome thing what a privilege to step into this place of salvation Baptism in the New Testament is referenced many times throughout the Acts of the Apostles and the Epistles after it is commissioned in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see Acts in several different passages of Scripture. And today I'll reference here a point from one of our little brochures that we have had for the last several months sitting on the Welcome Center. I do believe that maybe we have just a couple left 
And uh, if you want to snatch these up, we'll order some more. Hopefully have them next week. But we've gone through them. So that means that you've been taking them. And this is a great little resource that, that goes through and covers some things in surface on baptism. But in here it lists for us all the times that baptism actually took place or was referenced. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people were baptized. In Acts chapter 8 in Samaria, there were men and women that were baptized. In Acts chapter 10, the house of Cornelius, the first uh, acknowledged Gentile household, was baptized in the name of the Lord. In Acts chapter 16, the, the apostles were in prison. They were set free by the Spirit of the Lord. And then they went and they baptized the jailer and his household in the middle of the night. In Acts chapter 18, they believed and were baptized. In Acts chapter 19, the disciples of John the Baptist who had been baptized under repentance were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter number 3, the Bible says that Paul, the people believed Paul and were baptized into Christ in Colossians 2 and 12. They were baptized with Christ in baptism at the church of Coloss. And then the church in Rome, it was acknowledged in Romans chapter 6, were dead in sin. They died out in their sin and they were buried, amen, in baptism. So we see baptism in the New Testament. And we see this all throughout the New Testament. To take baptism out of the church would be a grave thing. It has been a part of us. And the apostle says this in Ephesians, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Hallelujah. He was, he was summarizing the tenets of our faith and the faith of the early church. There is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our Lord, our God is one Lord. It was the premise. It was the foundation. It was the keystone, the cornerstone of everything in their religious existence. And Paul says, one Lord, one faith. Amen. There's not many faiths. There's one faith. There's one answer. I'm glad to know his name is Jesus Christ. And then he said, there's one baptism. Amen. He was talking about, amen, the one baptism. Not only that of the water, but that of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Being baptized holy in Christ. And we unfolded that a little bit last week. But, but uh, I, I want to just take a moment and pause here and let you know that in your bulletin today, there were a few resources that I shared with you. And if you want to know more about this, I want you to know more about this. Check out some of these resources, and we have them here. It's an excellent new book that just came out that goes greatly in-depth. This will go in-depth more that you'll be convinced by you get through, I think, the fifth chapter on historical references and, and, and baptism in the early church. You, you read through this, and you'll say, man, there's, there's no way we can get around this or not use this. It's called Calling on the Name of Jesus, an Apostolic Apologetic of the Baptism baptismal formula by a man by Weatherly. Amen. Here's, a, here's an interesting book, The History of Baptism Through the Centuries 
by a man by the name of Thomas Weiser, and he goes down all through the centuries of people that have been baptizing in Jesus' name, some of them at great cost and great persecution. Here's a little book that we've been giving away, amen, to guests and other people that are interested on being Pentecostal that covers that. And then, of course, Dr. David Bernard has many books. This is probably his most famous book on new birth and then others about baptism in Jesus' name. And you can reference these sources. So I may not dig into all of these, but I can stand today and say that baptism is a foundational tenet of the church of the living God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. But, but that doesn't mean that we don't have questions. And questions are okay because questions are an endeavor to know the truth. Amen. Did anybody ever play the, the, the game telephone when you were a kid? Where you sit 20 people in the room or 25 people in the room. I, I remember doing that the first time. I, I was probably 11, 12 years old and went to a, a, a birthday party for somebody in the church. And, and there, was, there was a whole host of us. And there's probably 25, 30 people. And we, we sat down and we were going to play this game telephone. I can't remember what they called it, but I think that's the most common kind of reference. You knew what I meant when I said that. And somebody starts out and they say something and they tell somebody else and then they tell somebody else and then they tell somebody else and then they tell somebody else and it comes all the way around and then when you get back, uh, it's, it's, you try to see how close you can keep it and that's the intent and it does not matter. I don't know, maybe only one time have I played that game where what was actually said the first time actually comes back. And that was probably because there's only probably about four of us there, you know, kind of thing. So, you know. So when you stretch it out real long, you're bound to have some issues. And so the only way to be assured is to go back to the source. Go back to the source. And one way that the source can, can ease all questions and doubt is the source can write down what they said so that, it, so that there is no confusion and there's no question. And if we look back in, in the, the church period, the church age, there were many, many decades, many centuries where people did not have access to the source or to the word of God, let's say. And so they were dependent upon what somebody else told them. In fact, there was a time and a period, which you may or may not know, where the church, let's say so-called, kept the Bible in a language that people did not speak so that they could, amen, be the only ones that would tell them, amen, what the Bible said. The problem is, is that you can do great abuse to the Word of God. You can say whatever you want to say when people can't fact check. Now today, we live in a world that likes to fact check. Come on, anybody ever fact check the news? Come on. I'm not the only one. Get out there. And, uh, you know, big, big, big uh, trending topics today is fake news, whether it's real or not. And then you don't know if the fake news is real news that's fake or if the real news is fake news that's trying to be real. It's so confusing and so messed up and you get on Google and you can find every reason in the book kind of thing. And so, but I'm here to tell you that we don't have to worry and we do not have to live in question because we can fact check. This is a good day that we live in. 
We, we are proclaiming the Word of God and preaching the Word of God. But can I tell you, we are beyond the days of ignorance. Now the Word of God has been translated in almost every language. You can have it. In fact, you probably have several copies at your house. You can have it on your phone if you're like me. I've got about four different Bible apps and different things on there, and each of them have multiple versions and commentaries, and you can have that access there. You can read it for yourself. You can have somebody else read it to you. Isn't it a good day? Because you can pick whether you want an American accent, Northern, Southern, British, Australian, whatever. You can have it read it to you any old way that you want them to read. And here we are. We can fact check. We can go right back to the source. And yet it's amazing how many people don't do that. And they just trust it. But here today we're going back to the source. That's what we're trying to do is get back to what the Word of God says. And so we went through where did baptism come from. Last week we talked about it. And I'm not going to rehash it. But we talked about the Jews concept of the ritual cleansing in the Old Testament mikvah. And you can see the picture that we shared. And we went through this and what happened. Uh, you can go ahead and throw that picture up there, the mikvah. And uh, go to the one that's got the picture of me standing there where they would go in their ritual cleansing and they would be cleansed and the priests would have to do this before they went into the temple to serve God. Three things happened when they went to the mikvah and we talked about those. They acknowledged the word of God. They gave testimony that the word of God was true by confessing that they were unclean. Hallelujah. And we've got to do the same thing in our life. We've got to lay our pride down and say, look, God, I, I, I know I'm unclean. I need you in my life. And we give authority to the word of God by confessing that. The second thing they did was they obeyed the word of God and they submitted to God's process. They didn't say, God, I, I want to be clean some other way. I don't want to do this. No, they submitted to what God had established. And if we are going to be born again children of God, it's not just a one-time event. We have to be willing to live in a posture and attitude of obedience to the word of God and submission to God's process. It's not a one-time thing where I come and pay a price and get a ticket for an event, amen, and I, get, I repent and I'm baptized and I don't have to think about it. No, it is staging my life for the rest of my life. When I repent of my sins, I am literally forsaking my old way and I am tying myself or marrying myself to the Lord, answering him for the rest of my days. And so they understood that when you repent, when John comes and preaches repentance, it wasn't a one-time event. If you repent at church, now, now we, we probably have all been guilty of this. Can we just be honest and real this morning? Look at somebody next to you and say, be real, be real, be real with yourself. We have all come to church before and said, Lord, I repent of this. And then get in the car you know where I'm going, and go back home, go through life, and we do this yet again. And we pick those old things back up. That's not repentance. Or if it is repentance, we're falling back. We're sliding back from that place. 
They understood that repentance was an absolute forsaking of something. So when I repent, amen, I am laying something down and I am saying, okay, God, now I am not just submitting for the moment, but my life is in submission to God's processes and God's ways. Can I tell you, that is the key to overcoming sin. That is where the victory and the power of the Holy Ghost resides inside of your life. So let me just pause a moment and say, if you are still fighting things, there's room at the cross this morning. There's still grace and mercy. And God, hallelujah, in His grace can redeem you yet again. You can repent again. Hallelujah. And so they submitted. And the third thing they did, they were pronounced clean by the Word of God. Hallelujah. And so John comes preaching repentance. And we know that when we're baptized, we are acknowledging the Word of God. We are submitting to God's process, and we are declared clean by the Word of God. Hallelujah. Is baptism required? Well, Jesus said this. He said, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so I've got to ask this question. Are we more focused on what is required, or are we more focused on entering into the kingdom of God? In Acts chapter 37, we talked about this last week. They come, and they said, what must I do to be saved? I know what a wonderful day that was because Peter stood up and he said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. This was the first time it had ever been preached. There wasn't time for anybody to go out and and critique what he said. Nobody could follow up after what he said and say, well, what he meant to say, well, this doesn't matter and I disagree with it. There wasn't time for all that. And so they heard it fresh, raw, as God intended. And the Bible says, then they that glory gladly receive his word were baptized oh I don't know about you but I want to be somebody that is glad to receive the word of God if I'm sick and the doctor says look you are sick. You're a mess. But I can, I can help you out. This one little thing, there's nothing to it. You, you've got to give your life to it. But you do this, it'll be taken care of. No threat. You'll, you'll have the best life you've ever won. We are happy that he gives us that report. We don't say, well, do I really have to? No, we're ready because we're looking for anything for the remedy inside of our life. And that's where we're at. What does baptism do? I preach Sunday night. It remits our sin. Hebrews 9 and 12 says this, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And then the the writer of Hebrews was referencing the law, and he said, and without shedding of blood is no remission. That's why when you read the story in the garden and Adam and Eve sin, and they are are now separated from this, this beautiful place that God has because of sin, before God sends them out, the first thing he does is the Bible says is that he lets there be a sacrifice. There was shedding of blood, and then he takes that and he clothed them, amen, with the skin of, of, those, of those animals. He, he clothed them, but there was shedding of blood before they went out. There had to be a price that was paid for remission. It was typifying. It was a type of what he was going to do. And before they left the garden, Jesus, God preached about the Messiah coming, and he preached the gospel message. He told Satan, you shall bruise its heel, the seed of the woman. He said, but it will bruise your head. 
ahead. You're going to cause humanity to strip. You're going to cause humanity to stumble. You're going to bring pain upon humanity. But God said as they were separated, he said, but there is a day where Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will crush the heel of the enemies of God. He will crush everything that is trying to tear man away from God. And so God did not let humanity step outside of his presence without giving him hope, without giving him a promise. And then he goes on in Hebrews chapter 10, or rather in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper, and he's telling them, eat, this is my body. He said, that symbolizes, and he instituted, amen, the Lord's communion. He said, eat, this is my body, which is broken. He was talking about what happened on the cross. And then he said, drink. He said, for the the fruit of the vine, for this is my blood of the New Testament. And here Christ was letting him know, we have a New Testament now. We're not under the Old Testament. That was just a type to bring us, to keep you to this point. But this is what it's all about. He said, this is the blood of my New Testament, which is shed for many For the remission of sins. Christ said, when I go to that cross and I die. Amen. I die as the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament teaches. I am the spotless lamb. I am the one in whom there is no blemish. I am the one that is perfectly acceptable for the sins of all humanity. I am the ram in the thicket. I am the atonement. Amen. And he said, when my blood is... Shed. It is for a reason. It is for the remission of sins. And so in that, Hebrews goes on in chapter 10 and 18, and he says this, Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Christ died, so what? We don't have to go. There's no more offering. It's already been paid. Can I tell you, Jesus paid it all on Calvary. He paid it all. He paid it all. Can I tell you, he's already paid your debts. He's already paid them. Now, they haven't been applied to your account until you put his name, until you go through the water of baptism. But he's already paid your debts. He's paid the price for those that have sinned and given their life to God and already passed away. He's paid the price for those that have sinned and are living for God today. And he's already paid the price for those who yet do not know sin on our steep, or God and are steeped in their sin today. But someday we'll come to an altar. And then in Acts chapter 2 and 38, Peter says this, Repent and be baptized. Why? Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So baptism remits sins. Not only that, baptism is when and where we put on Christ. It was more than just, it's more than just the ritual cleansing of the Old Testament. That speaks to it, but it's more than that. It's more than just repentance. It is an extension of repentance as we understood from what John taught us and what John brought to us. But this is a New Testament. This is a New Testament. Jesus says now, uh, he commissions it after he's been to the tomb, after he's already rose again, after he's walked on this earth in a glorified state. He stands before his disciples 
And he says, now go into all the world, teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name. Amen. He was instituting something new. He said, hey, you are now not only being cleansed, not only being remitted, but you are taking on a new identity. You are being born into something that the Old Testament prophets only could dream about. Amen. But you are putting on Christ. How? In Galatians chapter 3 and 27, he says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I put them on. I clothe them. I, he, he becomes me. Amen. Now I'm no longer my own. Amen. But I am a part of the body of Christ. That's where we get that, that's where we get that terminology when people say we're a part of the body of Christ. Why? Because we are putting on Christ. We are a part. He assimilates us. He absorbs us. Amen. Into him. He covers our sins. And now we are a part of him. The gospel pattern lets us know in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He gives us the gospel pattern. He says, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached, which you have received, and wherein we stand, by which we are also saved, if you keep in memory. Notice, by which you are also saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Romans chapter 6 Paul goes on and expounds and says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. So there we have the death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Now we have the burial. And then he says that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of a life. That's the resurrection. There's a gospel pattern, amen, in our plan of salvation, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Oh, hallelujah. He was God manifest in the flesh, but he had to make himself obedient. He had to die out in his flesh and he was buried and put away but three days later amen he rose again why because God cannot die hallelujah oh death where is thy sting oh grave where is thy victory it's swallowed up in death and the Lord rose triumphantly. Amen. Can I tell you? Hallelujah. What the devil gives to kill you, what the devil tries to use to put you away is no match for the resurrecting power of the Holy Ghost. That is why. Come on. That's why we still preach that drug addicts can be saved. That's why we still believe and preach, amen, that murderers can be saved. Adulterers, fornicators, it doesn't matter. Hate mongers, whatever it is, amen, the worst of the worst. If they will come down and give their life to the Lord, God has the power to make them new again. Hallelujah. That's good news. That's good news. That gives me hope today. You ought to have hope. You ought to have hope. 
I don't know, and don't anybody, please don't raise your hand, but I, I, I'm going to guess maybe nobody in here has ever killed anybody. Please don't raise your hand. But if you have, can I tell you, the grace of God, hallelujah, ha, is greater than anything the enemy can use to try to lock you away. And if you haven't, well, there you go. Amen. How easy is it now for the grace of God? Come on, to reach down and to save you. I, I used to love, when my wife and I were privileged to travel around the country, I used to love, amen, hearing the testimonies of people at churches. And I would share a testimony, and then somebody else would come up, and uh, they would say, well, you shared that testimony, but I've got to tell you my testimony. And I'd go back, and I'd write that down. I said, there it is, one more testimony to write that down. And God is so good. God is so good. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter what you do, where you've been. Amen. God can save you. Yep. I remember some churches that we had been at several times, and finally I found out a story on somebody. And, 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 and murderers and, and people that were a part of horrific kinds of things. People that, that ran certain uh, 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 behind-the-scenes, black-market, criminal kind of stuff. Now alive, amen, in Christ, in the altar, amen. Uh, 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 just, just stuff that you can't even fathom. Stuff that I, I don't even want to mention publicly over what they were a part of in, in an entire operation and, and institution over all of North America and, and, and the stuff that they did, I wouldn't even mention it publicly because it's so vile. But yet before service would start, I'd go in and there before service would be somebody humbly in the corner of a prayer room praying and speaking in a new language. Amen. Glorifying and magnifying God. Can I tell you, that is the power, hallelujah, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why would you not want that? Why would you not want that in your life? Amen. Why would you not want that in your heart? When we're baptized, we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Everywhere in Scripture that they were baptized, they were baptized in the name. In Acts chapter 2 and 38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. There was an invoking of the name that took place. A calling on the name, literally, that took place when they baptized them in the New Testament church. They called on, they called out, or they spoke the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over those that were being baptized. I could go into a lot of the Old Testament or, or, or and New Testament Greek and the languages and break it all down for you. And I have these resources that I've, I've referenced for you if you want to take the time. There's some excellent scholarly stuff, historical stuff. The, the, the amount of truth and, and evidence is overwhelming. But when they called on the name, it was an Old Testament parallel to calling out the sacred name of God. Literally calling out the sacred name of God. And the name of God was involved in everything that happened in the Old Testament rituals. It was all about the name of God. I alluded to it a little bit this past Wednesday night when we were talking about the law. We were talking about specifically the law of jealousy and how that name would be written in dirt on parchment and dissolved into water and given to somebody to drink. And they would literally, amen, take that diluted water and they would take the name of God into themselves. The name of God was, was critical. And so when the New Testament comes along, they knew they had seen God. They had seen God manifest in the flesh. They knew His name 
was greater than any other. It was the name of Jesus that characterized the New Testament church. In fact, it was the name of Jesus that the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4 call Peter and John and say, listen, stop teaching, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. We, we don't mind that you've got a following, but stop using the name of Jesus. And that's where Peter stood up and said, listen, you decide. Is it better for me to listen to man and obey man? Or should I obey God and listen to God? And somebody said, hey, they got a point there. And Peter said, for there is no other name. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Hallelujah. They identified that it was the name of God that did something to them. It was the name, hallelujah, of the invisible God spoken over them that changed them. In Acts 22 and 16, we read it this morning when the apostle was asked, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. This reference is used all throughout the New Testament. One example is when James is writing in chapter 2 and verse 7. And he alludes to this. He says, do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called. If we would take the Greek of that uh, uh, original written uh, text there in James, it literally means which has been called or named over you. When James was referencing the name by which we were called, he was literally saying the name that was called over you, that was spoken over you, the name that was invoked in you. Amen. The name of Jesus Christ is where the power comes from. Amen. It's the name of Jesus. That's why when we come into church, we sing songs about the name of Jesus Christ. And we lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And we glorify the name of Jesus Christ. It's not about us. Amen. Nothing that we can do or, 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 or in Christ can we receive glory for. But it's all about Him. Why? Because I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. No flesh can glory in his presence. It's in the name. You say, you, you, you think it matters what formula? That's the historical reference, the baptismal formula that you use? Well, I do. And the reason why is because that's what we see in Scripture is this constant baptismal formula. It was the identity of who they were. And it was the way that they baptized. It wasn't until some 200 years after the church, that we see the first references of men beginning to change, men and women beginning to change the practice of baptism in the church. 200 years nearly after the church was born that people began to mess with the way that people were baptized and the meanings that it came about. And if you study church history or history in large, 
Amen. There was a lot of complicated things that were coming along there. There was a lot of assimilating of pagan practices within the church. And there was a lot of blending and a lot of merging that was going on. There was a lot of fighting and, and questioning and debating going on in theological and religious circles. But without fail, even those who would say it doesn't matter will, will acknowledge irrefutably that throughout the Old Testament, or the New Testament rather, and the in the early church period, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ without fail. The name of Jesus, amen, has power to set men free. In the name of Jesus, we sing there's glorious victory. What are we talking about when we say that name of Jesus? When the name of Jesus Christ is invoked over your life. So everything in the Old Testament, I'm, I'm acknowledging the Word of God. I'm obeying the Word of God. I'm declared clean by the Word of God. But in my repentance, I am marrying myself too. And that name is invoked. I put on Christ. I'm baptized into the body of Christ when His name is spoken over me. That's what that means. You say, well, wait a minute. In, Acts, or in Matthew rather, chapter 28 and verse 19, Jesus commissions them and says, Go ye therefore... And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now there are some that would say, well, well, that's not what the original says. And there are some you can find in certain places if you Google and other things that say, well, Matthew 28, 19 maybe shouldn't be in there. But I, I, I would say let's take it as it's given. I, 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 think it's, I think it's efficacious. I think it's good. I think it's right. And all the different arguments when you go down, I think the argument, I think it's an arbitrary thing. I think it is in there. And we have that given to us. And when Jesus says this, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, we could take the time and we could go through Scripture this morning. We could show you how the identity of the Father is Jesus Christ. And that was what the New Testament church believed. That's what the apostle believed and is what they practiced. The identity of the Son was God manifest. It was Jesus Christ. The identity of the Holy Spirit was Jesus Christ. When they prayed to receive the Holy Spirit, when they waited for the promise of the Father, when the Spirit moved, they did not see it as something separate from Jesus. In fact, in the Bible, they would, they would use that in one place and they would say, the the Holy Spirit, and then a few words later, they would call that same Spirit the Spirit of Jesus. Literally, they knew, hey, He's no longer with us in tangible, visible form, but He is with us, and He is in us in spiritual form. And they knew that. Furthermore, that was the name. And here's the thing, if we are going to stand and say that that we must baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. First of all, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are not names, but they are roles and they are descriptive titles. They are things. Yes, we can pray to our, our God as our Heavenly Father, but that denotes something when we pray to Him. And when we say, Our Father, we are, we are coming to God. We are acknowledging something. That's like when we say, God, I believe you are my healer. We are declaring something. But the name of the Father is Jesus. It was prophesied by Isaiah. 
And the New Testament church and the apostles understood that. Otherwise, they were disobedient men. Because nowhere did they baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, but they baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And if I go back to the, the example of telephone, who are we now 2,000 years removed to say, well, I think I know better what Christ was saying than the people that he was with. You know when he spoke this, he had already ascended or he had already resurrected. And now the Bible lets us know that 40 days he was seen of them. And in those 40 days, you, if you had any questions or any doubts, after he went to the cross and you watched what took place and you saw the empty tomb and now he's standing before you, you don't have any doubts anymore. You're going to take him at his word. <laughs> Anybody that can do that, well, whatever he said, I get it. And if they had any misunderstandings, they had time. They had 40 days for Christ to expound it to them. So who better had a revelation than the apostles? And so when they stand up and they preach, they knew that it was in the name of Jesus Christ. We could go on many, many historical proofs, but I hasten on. I come to a close if they'll come to the music. And I ask you this, who should be baptized? Who should be baptized? Well, Peter said this, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Who? Every one. Every one of you. Everyone needs to be baptized. Amen. Without question, except a man be born again of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So I ask you today, maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe you were baptized in the titles of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Maybe you've always wanted to be baptized, but you're afraid now and you're more mature and you're thinking, hey, that's, that should be for somebody earlier on. I'm here to tell you, amen, that everyone needs to be baptized. I don't know about you, but I, there's something happened to me when I was baptized. There was, I felt it literally in my body. I physically felt when I was baptized. It was like, whew, somebody had lifted a burden off of me. I didn't understand it at the time completely. I knew what had happened, but as I study and as I learn it, wow, all of my sins had been taken away. Come on, have you ever had debt in your life? Some of you got debt right now. Praying, Lord, help me get out of debt. Isn't that like a weight or a burden? When you, get, when you get done with that, and you pay that off, and you cut that credit card up, or you burn that mortgage, or whatever that is, or you, or you get, man, it's like, oh, whoo, let's go out to eat. I don't have a debt anymore. It's like, man, there's this freedom that takes place spiritually. It's like, wow, I'm clean. I'm a new person in Christ Jesus. Wow, what an awesome thing. Who should be baptized? Everyone should be baptized. Who should not be baptized? Well, you've got to be old enough to acknowledge the Word of God, to submit to the Word of God and obey the Word of God. Nobody can make that decision for you. And so we, we do not practice and we teach against infant baptism. Now, dedicating our children to the Lord is biblical and, and, and we see that. That's right. But that's different. Dedicating a child to the Lord is different. That, that involves more the parent's commitment and honor and pledge to God and to the child. 
But the child has to, as an individual, make the decision for themselves. Infant baptism wasn't something that came until hundreds of years later when also it wasn't practical to take a baby and dip them underwater, drown them, submerge them. And so they started the institution of sprinkling. Well, how are we baptized? Well, just the word alone, baptism, was the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip. It means to immerse. The Old Testament Jews understood the ritual cleansing. It was a full immersion. They went down completely. And there's verses of Scripture. When, when Philip and the eunuch uh, w- went to get baptized, the Bible says they both went down into the water. He baptized them, and then they came up out of the water. John baptized. In one place it says, uh, in, in Enon, because there was much water there. So they're baptized, fully immersed in baptism in Jesus' name. So you have to be old enough. In Acts chapter 36, the eunuch, or Acts chapter 8, verse 36 and 37 The Bible says, Philip was talking to him, and as they went on their way, they came into certain water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? The eunuch didn't say, okay, I want to put it on the schedule. When's your next, and this isn't an attack against anybody, but when's your next baptism Sunday? I think those are great things when we highlight that. But you don't have to wait. It's not something, we can have a baptism Sunday. We can have that, but that doesn't mean you have to wait until the next one. No, hey, here's water right now on my lunch break (laughs) I want to be baptized what hinders me from being baptized and Philip said this he said if thou believest with thy heart you may so you got to be old enough to say hey I believe I understand what's happening I'm doing this on my own when a child when a person is old enough to do that in the right mind sound mind to do that everyone amen ought to be baptized So we're baptized, we're buried with him in baptism, Romans 6 and 4, into death. And then in verse 5 it says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Be also in the likeness of his resurrection. When you plant something, you don't just lay it out there. You bury that. You bury that thing. We're planted together in Christ. Buried in Christ. If any man be in Christ, He is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. And so, the final thing, maybe the most important thing, is when should I be baptized? As soon as you believe. Don't wait. See, here is water. What doth hinder me? I'll never forget, I was preaching a... I was a young evangelist, had just graduated from Bible college. I was 21 years old. And I was traveling around preaching, and I, I went to a, a, a small church in the inner city in Chicago, and, and uh, exciting times, and we were, we were, there was a group of us, and we went, and we, we did some evangelism and outreach, and then we had service on Sunday. And so I was preaching about simple plan of salvation, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And so I'm praying in the altar, and a man comes up to me and he's got a cast on his leg from his knee down to his foot. And he said, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. And I thought, what class in Bible college did they cover baptizing somebody with a cast? 
And I'm thinking, oh, 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 Lord, you know, what, what, can, can you get a cast wet? You can't get a cast wet. You can't submerge that thing in water. You, you know, you can't, what, what do I do here? And so I did what every good evangelist should do. I said, uh, go talk to the pastor. And so I'm praying with people. We were praying. The, ho- the Holy Spirit was moving in the altars, and people were crying, giving their life to the Lord in those moments. And I looked across the altar way, and I saw the man made his way over to the pastor. And the pastor looked up and looked at me with these eyes real big because he hadn't been a pastor that long. And he was looking at me saying, well, you know, you know go, go ask the evangelist kind of thing. Was what... And so he said, okay, just wait, just wait, just wait. And so we went back to praying in the altars. And I am not making this up. We're praying in the altars. And man, we are, we are in the zone. And all of a sudden, from down here in the altar, praying with somebody, I look up. And here's this man. I'm not lying. Standing in the baptistry. Saying, Pastor! I want to be baptized. And I looked at the pastor and said, man, his, his cast is already wet. We've got to baptize him right now. And while we were praying, he went back and helped himself to a baptismal robe. I crawled up into the baptistry and said, that's believing. That's what I'm talking about. Stop saying, well, well, when can I do this? When is it convenient? Let there be something in your heart that says, hey, I can't go another day without getting under the blood of the Lamb, without letting the blood of Jesus Christ be it applied to my... I want to be born into the body of Christ. Stand together with me today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, can we thank the Lord together this morning? Come on, can we thank the Lord together? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And now he said, why tarriest thou? What are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized. Literally, he said, get baptized. Get baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord, or letting the name of the Lord Jesus Christ being spoken over you. I don't know about you, but I I thank God I've been baptized. I'm so excited today that if I didn't know that once I'm baptized, it's good and it's covered, I'm so excited today that I almost want to be baptized again. I don't need to be baptized again because it's under the blood. I'm giving my life to the Lord. But come on, when a good thing happens, you know how you relive it? You relive it. You retell those stories. When you met your spouse, those big moments in your life. Can I tell you, that was a big moment in my life. There was nothing like getting buried in the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So I don't just want to be baptized. I want everybody to be baptized. I want you to be baptized in Jesus' name. I want your children to be baptized in Jesus' name. I want your family to be baptized in Jesus' name. When we give our life to the Lord. And we're born, we're born into the body. His name is applied over us. And now we are submitted to God's process for the rest of our life. And herein comes the power of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the Lord inside of your life. You posture yourself and you position yourself 
That was no, it was no accident or mistake why Paul said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The reason why people aren't receiving the Holy Ghost is because they haven't gotten to a place where they've really submitted themselves and where they're really tying themselves to the Lord. You do that, and I promise you, amen, it's a promise. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you today for your word. Hallelujah, Lord, I thank you.